When you need medical help fast, use NHS 111 online to go from home to an urgent treatment centre. Mr Williams, please come through. Or a pharmacy. Hello, pharmacist will see you now. Or if needed, stay where you are and get a call from a nurse, doctor or paramedic. Get assessed and directed to the right place for you in as little as 90 seconds. Use NHS 111 online. This is our People podcast telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hi and welcome to Our People Podcast. I'm your host, Harry Newhouse, and for today's episode, we will be talking to some of our staff from our cardiology department. This week, we are celebrating World Heart Day, and here to discuss this and all topics related to the heart is consultant Mickey Jashuk and departmental manager Joanna Spence. Welcome to the podcast, Mickey and Joanna. Thank you. Thank you. Mickey, uh, please could you introduce yourself, explain what your role is here at the Trust and what that involves on a day-to-day basis. Um, okay, thanks, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm Mickey Jatrick. I'm a consultant cardiologist and I've been here now for just over 10 years. I mean, I guess I have two roles predominantly. One's a clinical role as a cardiologist and I work with what seems to be an ever-expanding team of other consultant cardiologists and we provide, obviously, cardiology services across our two acute sites, South Tyneside and Sunderland predominantly, but also some community sites at Grinton Lane and, and recently Durham Treatment Centre as well. I also have a, a leadership role as a clinical director, um, and I look after the cardiology and respiratory medicine teams, uh, and also the clinical microbiology and infectious disease team. It's probably not easy to describe what a clinical director does day to day, but um, it, ultimately, I guess it sort of involves being sort of the line manager for the medical team and and working alongside the directorate manager and matrons to make sure that we're performing well and meeting the trust's objectives. Brilliant, and uh, same question to you, John. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm Jo Spence. I'm the Senior Chief Physiologist um, in Cardiology. I'm also a Departmental Manager um, across both sites and for the cath labs. Um, so physiology is one of the disciplines within healthcare science, um, so that the clinical role itself is very varied in carrying out a number of diagnostic investigations, um, seeing patients in clinic, um, lifelong management of patients with um, things like implantable cardiac devices, um, and alongside that, obviously, within my role, there's a heavy um, input into the operational management of the departments across the trust. Brilliant. And when talking about cardiology, many people recognise uh, that with a heart attack, but you also deal with much more than that, don't you? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, as I say, you're right, I think well, the first thing people think of with, with cardiology is heart attacks. And certainly, sort of, I guess, the sharp end of what we do day to day, and we obviously offer emergency care. 24-7 for people who might be having heart attacks but 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 it, it, it's a lot more than that and I sometimes describe the heart to my patients as being a bit like an engine I mean clearly it's the most important part of the body I'm sure other specialties might disagree but just like an engine it's got different components and different parts of it can go wrong or need repair so again I guess a bit like an engine it's got valves and electrics so you can have problems with your heart valves being narrowed or or leaky that can cause problems. You can have problems with the wiring of the heart that can cause um, heart rhythm problems. Um, there are various conditions of the heart muscle. Uh, and the other thing that we're seeing more and more of now is patients with, with heart failure. I guess we're a victim of our own success in a way that people are surviving other illnesses that in the past potentially would have been, been fatal and living longer. And so we're seeing more people with heart failure where the pumping action of the heart doesn't work as well as it should do. 
and it's not uncommon to see this alongside um, other conditions as well. So people presenting with multiple problems, one of which being the heart condition, and and that often needs a very different approach to, to management. And as a consultant, do you deal with anything differently to as what Joe might might deal with? Uh, I mean, Joe's probably better on saying that. I guess we all deal with the same thing, but from from different sort of angles and different sort of areas of focus. So it is important that we work together as a team. It's not just obviously consultants and physiologists, but we've got nurses, pharmacists and other allied health professionals who all work together. Yeah, so obviously just adding on to, to sort of what Mickey says there, you know, the, the heart does function in a, a number of ways and, you know, a lot of the diagnostic investigations that we'll do as a multidisciplinary team approach will either perhaps look at the overall function of the heart or it could, you know, look at the electrics and that would dictate sort of what investigations or what treatment a patient potentially might need under the care of, you know, the team. What's the difference between a heart attack and a cardiac arrest? So it's, it's, it's a good question because it's another thing that lots of people often get mixed up. Um, they are two very different things. So a heart attack effectively is when there is a sudden blockage or interruption of blood flow to the heart muscle. That's usually due to a narrowing or, or blockage in, in one of the heart arteries. And that that's typically presents with, with chest pain symptoms. Not always, but usually with, with severe chest pain and uh, changes on, on the ECG and on troponin, which is a blood test that's very sensitive for picking up signs of strain or damage to the heart. So with prompt diagnosis and treatment, it, it's eminently treatable. And, and what we offer is sort of 24-7 angioplasty, which is the procedure where uh, a stent's put into the blocked artery to unblock it, um, and that works very well, and most people make a, a full and rapid recovery from it, and um, so heart attacks these days aren't sort of perhaps as sort of deadly as they used to be uh, not that long ago, um, and people sort of can carry on living normal lives with the right treatment. A cardiac arrest is, is a different thing where um, the heart effectively just stops, uh, and that can be due to a severe electrical fault. Um, Joe mentioned heart rhythm problems and there are some potentially dangerous heart rhythms that effectively cause the heart to stop beating and that's the type that responds well to defibrillation. And the other type of cardiac arrest is when there's a mechanical failure of the heart and it fails to, to, to beat properly and, and uh, again resuscitation that's provided promptly can be effective but, but often not as effective as, as the other type of cardiac arrest. Now uh, cardiac arrest can be caused by lots of things, um, heart attack being one of them, but there are various other things that can cause cardiac arrest. So it's important to to recognise that and, and um, also sort of be aware of uh, techniques for resuscitation because that can make a huge difference to someone's chances of, of survival. Cardiovascular disease is the world's number one killer. Um, how important is it to have days such as World Heart Day uh, to help raise awareness and mobilise action against such diseases? So I think, it, it, I mean, from from our perspective, I think it's really important that people are obviously very conscious of their own health, um, you know, aware of the risk factors that would, you know, potentially sort of lead them to have heart problems. And it just gives us an opportunity to promote it, um, you know, make sure people are aware what to look at, be aware of lifestyle factors, um, as well as sort of family history that might predispose them to having sort of cardiac disease. It also gives us a good opportunity to, you know, promote the work of the team, um, particularly within cardiology. Um, and to, to raise awareness of you know standards of practice um, you know across say point of care investigations. So one of the things that we'll be doing alongside, obviously sharing uh, the, the podcast is to doing a, um, a promotion around about ECG, which is a very basic point of care investigation that occurs throughout the trust, just to promote the importance of doing that correctly. So that there will be stands across sort of both trusts where staff can ask information. Um, to make sure that the point of care investigations are done, done properly. 
um, and also you know there'll be interaction with the patients and public in that respect as well. Is this something you'll do on a regular basis, just out, outside of World, World Heart Day? And... Absolutely, you know we do have an ongoing educational program, and you know, all new starters as part of the trust will be trained how to do ECG and we'll particularly target the healthcare um, assistant um, workforce, and they all do it as part of the care certificate as well. How can someone tell if they are at risk of heart problems in the future? Are there any signs? Yeah, and I think this is one of the important things about being aware of heart disease and things like World Heart Day and the work that Joe and the team do to sort of promote awareness is important because because there are absolutely things you can do to reduce your risk of having heart problems. And I guess you can broadly separate into things that are modifiable and you can change things that you can't. So, um, for instance, there are some heart conditions that are inherited and run in families, and, and clearly there's not much you can do about that if it's if it's a genetic component to it. But, but being aware of it does make a difference because, again, there are interventions that can be performed or provided that will reduce that risk. But but the vast majority of people have very reversible uh, risk factors for heart disease, things like diet, weight, exercise, smoking, um, that are very or relatively easy to do something about and, and can really, really drastically reduce your risk of developing heart problems in the future. Sometimes it is easier said than done to recognise that not everyone will find it easy to stop smoking or modify their diet or start exercising. So I think increasingly now we're sort of recognising that there are ways of supporting people to do that and, and promoting healthy lifestyles that way. So, what services does the team provide here at the Trust and uh, when providing things such as investigations? So, so the team, um, you know, like Mickey said before, there's a wide, you know, a wide multidisciplinary team um, which you know, incorporates medical staff, nurses, radiographers, physiologists um, and um, you know, pharmacy teams, you know, so it is very much a team approach in lots of respects when we're delivering investigations, whether they be, um, you know, in a non-invasive sort of outpatient setting or whether it be invasive more sort of in the cath lab setting. Um, we, we do everything from ECGs, which are a basic heart tracing, which looks at the electrical activity of the heart, um, right the way through to more complex act- activities such as in- implantation of um, cardiac devices. And a lot of the investigations that the patients would have would build up a little bit, you know, like a puzzle, which would help, you know, particularly the consultant team come to a diagnosis and to sort of aid further um, treatment and management. But for some of our, you know, patients that we see, you know, they're on our books for the duration of their life, you know, particularly, um, like I mentioned before, the patients who've got implantable cardiac devices. So, you know, you have relationships with a number of our patients for decades um, you know, out with doing sort of one-off investigations, which you know will quite often be the case as well. If somebody presents either acutely as an inpatient in a hospital, or you know is having a one-off diagnostic investigation, maybe you know prior to surgery, just to sort of assess the you know the, the wellness or the fitness of an aesthetic. So, so we do a big range of inve- investigations. Yeah, I think the other thing to mention alongside that is is the fact that it's been quite an exciting time for the department over the last few years at least and certainly since the merger because um, one of the things that came out of that in a way was that it, it allowed us to become a slightly bigger department so obviously as a single team working across both sites and it gave us sort of a critical mass to, to, to allow us to develop further so we've been trying to develop new services and more specialist services and uh, one of the things for example that we were able to start I think just over a year ago now was it was a cardiac MRI service. Um, now this has been something that in the past was regarded as very highly specialist test uh, but over the years it's become a very sort of 
fundamental part of, of um, diagnosis for, for cardiology diseases and, and management. But but um, certainly for our area, across South Tyneside and Sunderland, there, there wasn't availability or provision for it. And so local patients had to travel to places like Newcastle or Middlesbrough to, to get scans done. So we recognised there was a need for that here and, and did a lot of work to try and sort of uh, get approval for, for a cardiac MRI service locally, which which fortunately came about. And, and I have to give credit to Ali Khan Bandali, who's one of our cardiologists and his team who helped um, do an awful lot of work to get that through. What that means is now our local patients have access to a sort of state-of-the-art test that gives us so much more information that we weren't able to access before and, and really just sort of makes a big difference to, to how we treat and manage people. And alongside that, there's a number of other service developments that we're working on at the moment. And Joe mentioned um, cardiac devices, and, and we're starting to implant more specialist devices, more complex devices. Um, we're hoping to start a defibrillator implant service as well soon. So again, these are things that patients locally would have had to travel to other centres for. But now as a sort of increasingly more established cardiac centre in this patch of the region, uh, I think we've got ambitions to make sure that as much as possible patients should be able to access the cardiology services and care that they need here rather than having to go to places like potentially Freeman or, or James Cook and as much as possible we'd like to be able to deliver that locally. And it's uh, amazing over just over the last couple of years sort of te- how technology has developed to ensure patients get better, better outcomes and better uh, service here at the Trust. Yeah yeah and I mean I've, I've heard quite a number of other podcasts that have sort of commented on the, the changes in technology and, and in some ways we're similar to I guess radiology and surgery in terms of some of the equipment we use are very similar to what we used in theatres and in radiology, and we've seen the same technological advances in those as well. And again, going back to cardiac devices, the, the abilities and the diagnostic information now we can get from patients who have devices without them having to come into hospital, because this is all now done wirelessly over uh, remote monitoring, it, it gives us a completely different way of being able to manage people in their own homes. We also carry out some invasive uh, procedures. What are they and how are they carried out? Yeah, so, so the, you know, I've obviously mentioned a range of investigations there before. Um, we also have um, three cath labs across our sites, which is where the, 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 the highest volume of um, invasive cardiology investigations are performed. Um, so they would predominantly be things like angiography that would look at um, the coronary arteries under x-ray guidance, so in, injecting a dye. And, and they would sort of show up on the screen and if there was any you know, abnormalities, any narrowings there, then obviously we can proceed further um, with that something called cardiac intervention where a patient might get a stent uh, place which would open up the arteries. There are, and there are a number of um, ways that we can do this. Um, obviously, would mention cardiac devices, they were also done within that setting um, as well. We also have a, a heart failure nursing service at South Tyneside. Uh, could you explain what the team does to help our patients? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not just South Townside, it's, it's across the, the whole area, really. Uh, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that heart failure is um, an increasing uh, condition in terms of we're seeing more of it, we're seeing uh, older patients with, with other conditions um, with heart failure, and our knowledge and understanding of heart failure is, is, again, sort of advanced over recent years. So heart failure can, can sometimes be quite a scary term for people, and it, it, it's a quite broad term that means a lot of different things and different types of heart failure in some forms it can be very serious life-limiting and in other forms it can be relatively mild and people can function completely normally 
the, the, the way that we diagnose and treat heart failure, again, has also changed a lot over the last few years. So some of the tests that we use, it's not just about heart scans like echoes or MRI. There are blood tests and other things that need to be done to get a proper assessment of patients with heart failure. And then the treatment itself is, is also become more complex. There's different medications, there's different interventions. Um, so to be able to, to do all of that properly in terms of see, assess, diagnose and treat, it needs quite a, a, a sort of complex and, and multidisciplinary, multi-professional team to be able to do that. And that's what our heart failure nurses really predominantly lead on. So they work very closely, primarily with a patient, but obviously with their GPs, other carers, community teams, with the specialist teams in hospital as well to try and coordinate all of that. Um, we've actually just sort of, well, hopefully concluding a, a piece of work that's taken probably a couple of years to develop looking at our heart failure pathway to try and sort of integrate that and, and have a sort of single gold standard heart failure management pathway across South Tyneside Sunderland and actually parts of North Durham which we, we provide care for in the community as well and linking up our acute teams, community teams and um, and primary care teams. So we've also worked closely with sort of charities as well in terms of supporting patients and, and making sure they've got the resources to manage their conditions as well. You've already mentioned uh, some of the reasons of how someone can prevent having uh, heart problems such as diet, smoking, but can someone's family history also have an effect on someone who's like, suffering from a heart disease? Uh, yeah, so there are absolutely some forms of heart disease that are familial and, and inherited. Um, and uh, I guess as I say, first point is just recognising that. now. Some people will be very aware if they've got a strong family history of heart trouble. And what we mean by that usually is sort of first degree relatives, parents, brothers or sisters having developed heart problems at a relatively younger age. Um, I always worry about what the definition of younger is, as long as it's younger than me. But that's, I think sort of the, the, the age of around 50, 55 is usually cut off. And so, so people who perhaps develop heart trouble at, um, at a younger age are probably more at risk of, of passing that on. But certainly would need um, assessment and investigation to see if they've got any particular condition that could be uh, causing that. There are increasingly as well a number of patients who are surviving later on in life with some of the form of some forms of congenital heart disease that again in the past potentially wouldn't have allowed them to live as long. So one of the other things that we're looking at in terms of developing locally is a, a, a more of a focus service for that kind of patient who again previously would only have been looked after in, in a very specialist centre like the Freeman. Uh, but because there are more and more of these patients now surviving to a later life, that, that they need to be looked after in, in again slightly different ways to how we would normally manage sort of the, the the normal types of heart conditions that we see. If someone does have problems with the heart, uh, can they do any physical activity, or like how much physical activity should someone do? So yes, yes, yeah, yes, it's yes, absolutely yes. a simple answer to that, and it's important that, that people recognize that because exercise in itself is a really important treatment and, and we've talked about how keeping active and exercising can can prevent heart problems but it's also a good very it's also a very good treatment people who are recovering from heart attacks and and heart surgery even and things like that but for, for those cases it's important that they get sort of proper guidance and supervision that's what our cardiac rehab teams do and, and they're, they're they're excellent at taking people through what they can and can't do and, and getting back to sort of a an active lifestyle again um, but but yes, I think people should always get advice if they're not sure because there are some forms of heart disease where you do need to be a little bit more cautious. Um, but, but in the vast majority of cases, people can go back to sort of being active again. I mean, just look at um, 
Christian Eriksen, um, and there's been a number of sort of fairly high-profile cases like that where people have had quite serious cardiac conditions um, and professional sports people having sort of cardiac arrests and surviving who've gone back to, to being competitive again. That seems to be happening more and more recently. I don't know if that's because media's a lot bigger and like TV coverage is a lot bigger in sports that like you see it more happening more often. But how essential is it for someone to learn CPR? Because I remember when Christian, I was watching the game when Christian Eriksen collapsed and I don't think if the guy didn't start, he was fortunate enough that someone around the, uh, the stadium knew how to do CPR. So it essentially saved his life. So how important is it just for anyone to learn how to do CPR? I think it's a really important, essential sort of life skill, really, to be honest. I think it's quite reassuring that, it, you know, it's, it's coming on board to the, the likes of the school curriculums, um, you know, because increasing that chance of survival and having people able to deliver life-saving resuscitation, you know, even at a very basic level, it increases somebody's, you know, chance of survival, you know, really. And I think that's, you know, when you, obviously the footballer that Mickey mentioned, the amount of people that were obviously around and that quick action at the time was really the catalyst to, to him sort of going back to living a normal and full life and that, you know, that can quite often, often happen sort of, you know, every day, you, you know, you might encounter it when you least expect it. And we do have a number of the team who, you know, within their own time will obviously support training for, um, you know, clubs, schools to teach them about resuscitation and CPR. And, you know, the likes of the British Heart Foundation have got some really great online sort of programme snippets. It doesn't take up too much of your time, um, you know, but just that awareness of what to do if this situation arises is just paramount because it does, you know, help that chain of survival. Yeah, and that's obviously, we've seen the high profile cases, but we see it day to day. I mean, obviously, as I say, we provide 24-7 care for heart attacks and some of those patients come in having collapsed with a cardiac arrest on the street. Uh, and it's very evident for those that, that get very prompt CPR and resuscitation, if it's appropriate, they, 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 they always do much better than the ones where there's a delay. And, and so it is important. It's not that difficult to learn. Um, and I guess for sort of staff working in the trust, regardless of whether or not you're working in the cardiac team or if you're an admin or anything, there's sort of, I guess, if you're in the public, there's an expectation because you work for the NHS that you know how to do CPR. So I think it is important for people to know it makes a huge difference. And again, as Joe said, in places where, where it is sort of more mandatory, um, the, the survival rates from cardiac arrest are much, much better. In the lead-up to someone having a heart attack, is there a, feel, like, is there a feeling that someone might feel, uh, like in, say, 10 minutes before it happens, or within an hour before it happens, or is it an instant feeling that... Like, it's kind of like the classic, isn't it, that you would say, <laughs> yeah. you know, that people... Are, and, and there can be sometimes precursors to it, but then equally... You know, like that that sort of classic, or somebody might get a band across the chest, or it might feel like crushing pain, or you know, they might feel dizzy or lightheaded. But then, equally, you will get the people who will go down without any warning. Um, you know, so there can be quite often, sometimes, if you speak to people, you know, if they make a recovery after the event, they might tell you that they've had some symptoms prior to it occurring, but maybe they didn't give it the you know, any merit, or you know, on the flip side, they had no warning and, and they were you know, they just sort of went down. That's really interesting to know. And before we end this podcast, I've got to mention, uh, finally, um, Mickey, you took on the Great North Run uh, earlier this month. Uh, how did it go? Yeah, it was last week, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm still recovering. It was just going. Oh, no, <laughs> aches and pains. Uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Um, I think, I'm, I'm sure, and I know that, well, I know there was lots of other colleagues in the Trust who did it 
um, on the day, and I'm sure there was lots of others watching, and, and there were many at work as well. It was probably one of the strangest Great North runs they've ever been, I think it's fair to say. Um, it was really warm, um, so I spent most of the run trying to keep cool and pouring water over myself, uh, and then um, changed into my dry clothes at the finish to make my way home, and then got soaked in the, the downpour that followed. And um, yeah, I think there were some people that were still running when, when the rain hit, and having to sort of wade through the floods along the coast um but no it was a great day and as always the crowd were fantastic i have to say i mean this is my third in a row now and i think i've heard a lot of other people say that the crowd this time was was even better than it's been before and and i'd personally like to thank everyone who handed out jelly beans and orange segments and i, I made the most of the paint at 10 miles as well that i got yeah my, my mate uh <laughs> ran run the race and i've never known how important the jelly babies were until the until this year's great north run yeah i don't think i would have finished without them to be fair <laughs> it's quite heartwarming the amount of people that like, come out along the route isn't it from it the house just giving you the jelly beans and, and the, you there, know. Were, there were ice pops as well this yeah, time yeah. Could definitely, definitely <laughs> well deserved it. and uh, yeah i'd just like to congratulate congratulate everyone who ran all our staff all our patients uh who ran this year's race did an excellent job in 2021, uh, you were one of the four NHS official starters uh, of the Great North Run, Mickey. Uh, how was that experience? Um, I mean, that was incredible, and, and it's something I'll never forget. Um, I mean, it was it was certainly a huge honour and privilege to, to be a representative for, for all our colleagues and, and staff at South Tyneside and Sunderland. And I mean, people I'm sure will remember it was it was a bit of a strange time. We were just coming out of, um, I think, sort of the, the first couple of phases of the pandemic and lockdowns and I think it was the first one of the first occasions that people were allowed out and mm-hmm. be able to get together so so that that was quite memorable and, and the fact that I think the, the whole event was sort of a celebration not just of the NHS staff um, during the, the the pandemic but all, all the key workers that sort of kept the country running if you like um, so it, it was really sort of unforgettable I think for me personally I mean I'm, I'm born and brought up in Newcastle the Great North Run something that's iconic and I've always wanted to do it just never felt able to um and so again sort of running was something i sort of took up during lockdown and not just being able to do the run for the first time but also being able to start it that that's sort of something that lived with me forever really and um uh i don't think there's anything that will make me more proud to be a geordie <laughs> except maybe newcastle winning the champions league <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of this episode thank you mickey and joanna for joining me today you're very well thank you Thanks for joining us for this episode of Our People Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.